Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Julia Siegel to the show. Welcome, Julia. Glad to be here. Julia is the Senior Director of Sales Strategy and Operations at Catalent. And the best way to think of them is they help companies get from strategy to execution faster by helping them match the right people to the right work, whether they do that inside or outside the organization. So our topic today is all going to be about sales productivity. But before we get there, the first question is for you to share your favorite sales book of all time and maybe one of the tips you got out of it. The one that always stands out to me because it really started my journey into sales was the Daniel Pink classic, To Sell is Human. The idea that the things people buy versus the things they are sold look different and that selling is a normal part of everybody's life and their journey was really powerful to me because I think I came into my career with a lot of the negative connotations of selling, of it being pushy or of it being um, something that required a lot of extroversion, which that book also helps mitigate. And I think that that for me was when I was like, wait a minute, I actually really like solving problems for people. I like the psychology of this. I like driving to better outcomes. And I should consider this for myself. Yeah, I mean, it's worth stressing your bona fides here, which is you're not only a sales and strategy and operations professional, but you carried a bag for a number of years and, and even led teams. You know, in that world, did you have family who were salespeople? Like if you had these negative connotations, why did you start in sales to begin with? It's actually funny. I am the daughter of a salesman. So I think that my negative connotations deserve a little bit of exploration. I was never extroverted in the way that my father, who was the salesperson, was. So for him, you know, kind of pushing connection or really, he loves the art of negotiation. He was really forceful around that. And it didn't see a lot of myself in that. I was someone who really wanted to kind of listen and learn and then respond in quiet, careful ways, especially earlier in my career. So it didn't look like what I thought a salesperson was, but I realized I'd learned a ton from him, even though we had very different styles around asking really good questions, even if mine were quieter or maybe taking a different style, that that was still really valuable. Or also seeing something in terms of, you know, not just trying to get something out of someone else, but to give as well and help them reach the right outcome. So even though I think what it looked like on the face of it may have seemed really different from how I approach things. We actually had a lot of the same kind of underlying psychology to it. Well, since your father was a salesperson, I guess it leads very naturally into the next question, which is what was the first thing you ever remember selling? And I'm super curious whether your father was in some way an influence on what that was. I don't even know if they do it anymore. Like the scholastic wrapping paper drives that they would do in elementary schools where you'd go door to door basically at the time and have you know a catalog of different wrapping paper that was for sale and try to get people to buy it. And you could earn books to be donated to your school. It was like sponsored by Scholastic. And I remember getting this and my dad was adamant that I was going to do it. You know, I was pretty scared about it. The first house you go up to and knock on the door and it's like, hey, here's my catalog and do you want this? And I think there's some benefits to being eight years old when you're doing this. People will talk to you probably more than they would otherwise and slam the door in your face. But I remember getting my first sale, right? It took, I think, two or three houses of someone saying, yes, I will take two of these with the you know, jingle bell print on them. And the elation of that, of being like, wow, that was scary and hard. And I did it. And they actually seem excited about what they're going to get. And I have this you know, kind of two items that I can check off in this order form. 
And it was really heady and powerful. And I think I've thought about that moment later in life, you know, when I've been in the bag carrier role and it's like, man, I'm knocking on a lot of doors. No one's buying my wrapping paper, but it's like, think of that feeling, right? I'm going to get there if I follow the right process and I keep going through, I will come back with one of those orders and it's going to feel really good. How do you think about sales productivity? What are the levers that exist within sales productivity? I have been thinking a lot about sales productivity in terms of of two vectors. One, I think about as efficiency. So I think of that as like the inputs to the process. How do I make better use of time or capacity or tools? And then effectiveness is more of an output. How do I make sure a seller can run a more productive discovery call, et cetera? The challenge in thinking about sales productivity is that my team at least, zeroes in on the former, on efficiency. And it's actually, I think, personally, much more powerful to get the effectiveness right, but that's a lot murkier. When you say your team, I presume not just the sales strategy and ops team, but you're talking about more broadly the AEs at Catalan. Yeah, the AEs. I mean, I think everyone wants to understand like, hey, can you automate this part of my process and give me back more selling time in a day? And absolutely, like that's an important part of my job and any sales operations function. But I think, you know, we end up running at that really hard and not thinking about, man, are we running like the best possible discovery process? Like, am I making people as effective as possible at getting to the next stage of the funnel? Or, you know, if I could potentially get a lift where a deal closes, you know, 10 days faster because we're able to negotiate in a smarter way, you know, what is that worth to me versus automating that one workflow in Salesforce? Have you ever had any initiatives where you tried to put time back in the day? And, and how did that work out in terms of actually increasing engaged selling time from you know, wherever it was to something higher? Well, so this is where my like, account executive hat comes on. Because I think about getting a lot of pressure from my ops teams, other points in my career, to be like, we're going to try to improve productive selling time. And I'm sitting there thinking as the rep, like, man, I have to go do really thoughtful meeting prep and find all these disparate levels of information on these accounts and territories. I have to create my ops in Salesforce. I have to go and talk to marketing about this piece of collateral. I always felt like my ops function didn't fully understand all the other demands on my time. And it is so funny to be on the other side of the table because I'm very empathetic to that, but I'm also like, you know, there is an element of understanding what's urgent versus important that I'm trying to encourage with our sales team that, you know, for instance, being on the hunt for the perfect piece of collateral that has to be customized to the exact specification is less important than getting that message out the door today versus tomorrow. And I think the initiative we're doing right now is really trying to define what good looks like within our sales organization. So for our enterprise reps at different levels of seniority, understanding what is making our top most productive reps and what can we reverse engineer into their other colleagues to try to help them get up to speed. And we are finding, unsurprisingly, that they're way outpacing the number of meetings, for instance, or that the volume of outreach that they're able to do in a week is significantly higher than some of their less productive peers. But I think we're not really fully capturing today why that is. Is it that they're putting in more hours? I don't think that's the case. I think they're just making better use of the time that they have. I always study the top reps in each of the organizations that I go to. One thing I have noticed is the ruthlessness with which they are efficient with their time and prioritization. 
And I think for a lot of people, it's hard when your coworker comes up to you or even your boss comes up to you and says something for you to filter it and say, look, like in your mind, at least, this is not a priority for me. I'm going back to what I'm doing. Yes. Well, and I think it also gets to a stereotype within a lot of sales organizations of the like brilliant jerk or the lone wolf, because I think I want to create a place where people can say no to things that are not a good use of their time, but it still also requires good corporate citizenship. And I think that there is such a balance to that because not even at Catalan, other parts of my career, I've been around reps who say no to everything that has to do with broader process or things that are not directly tied to their own selling activity. And there are ways that that's good, but they actually can be kind of a toxic team member from every once in a while. They're not really contributing to data hygiene or best practice sharing or other things that are really crucial to having a well-run sales system. And there's definitely a risk of being too permissive, I think, of that kind of behavior as well. Yeah, it's fair. I just actually finished a, a book called The Success Cadence, which is written by the folks at Sandler and a few of their, I would presume, clients as well. And that was actually one of the things it mentioned was if you have a rep who is in your organization, even if they're a top producer, one of the signs of a healthy culture is if they're not following anything, if they're skipping scrums, one-on-ones, pipeline reviews, like if they just are really completely off on their own, then you're actually better off organizationally. Let that person move on. I think about every seller, there should be something that looks like a core curriculum, like the core thing that you have to follow in order to be a good seller at Catalant. And then there's an element of what's elective. Like what are the things that are your own spin on things, either from a systems perspective, a how you work with your SDRs, et cetera, might look a little bit different. But there's going to be something that's a framework of like, this is what's best in class and the minimum expectation for a seller here. And we are starting to do that by every function within our sales system. So beginning with our account executives, but then we'll have that for our account managers, for our SDRs, with the hope that, one, it drives a little bit more of a uniform approach and an understanding of what is federally mandated versus state's decision on how something gets done, and then also improves ramp time as well. Because I think, like most fast-growth companies, we've let people be pretty loose with how they structure and run some of their sales behavior. We're like, if it's working, we're not going to try to interfere. But we're now hitting that point thinking about scale. And to do that, we can't have a lot of roll your own process. And that's changing a lot of our thinking. I'm curious on the measure of identifying who were the top reps, how did you actually stack rank? What productivity measure did you use for that? Quota attainment was really like the number one metric that we ended up looking at and trying to back out. We tried to remove tenure where possible because we were noticing that for people that have more mature books of business, of course, they tend to attain a little bit higher because their territories are warmer. So we did break down cohorts of sellers in terms of their time at the company and then looked at that by quota attainment. And then underlying that were all of the inputs around pipeline build, around activities and conversion of activities, also conversion of sales stages. I have done a similar analysis with the cohorts before and found that for enterprise sellers in particular, there's a a zero to one year cohort, there's a one to two year cohort. And then after two years, two years plus, they, it doesn't tend to vary all that much. So I, I would always break into those three into those three buckets. How about that? I'm um, looking at that when you've had some sort of pivot. Because I think for us and what I've struggled with the data I've inherited is that there was a legacy business model that then about, let's call it 16 months ago, there was a major pivot in terms of how we were going to market from being more of this um, gig economy driven marketplace to really more of a SaaS platform. So I'm struggling in some ways to take the historical data into account given that the selling motion and the product has changed so drastically. 
what sort of techniques are you using to identify the best practices of the top reps? Are you, is it data? Is it, I guess you just mentioned conversation intelligence types of things, ride-alongs. What are some of the techniques you're using to determine that? We're starting with, I mean, a discovery phase, truly. Dividing and conquering on interviews with both manager and rep, and then also their functions that are dotted line to them, like a SDR. And then we're also taking a look at actual usage and data within tools, whether that's tools to drive top of funnel outreach, whether that's CRM, conversation intelligence, all of that to see if we can see any patterns and how they're using those things. There is a reality, right, where we may not find anything that's statistically significant in that. But, you know, I think we'll, for better or worse, at least understand the motions they're going through at a much more granular level. What are some of the things you've discovered are things that increase efficiency and some of the things that seem to hamper it? As much as I can remove the need for unique thinking (laughs) from every process is definitely improving both the efficiency measure, and rep satisfaction. So things like more guided and structured playbooks have actually been really powerful. Limiting the number of personas, if you get these kinds of questions, you go here, all of that has been tremendous in reducing, I think, both ramp and then that tends to eat into a lot of the day as I was talking to reps about why they're not getting more meetings in. It's preparing and then the follow-up after that seem to be getting to a lot of sticking points for their days. So that's been the biggest one, I would say. I think the other piece is automating workflows. We're going through a redeployment of Salesforce right now, which has been a great opportunity to pull up and say, what are things we're requiring manual capture of that could actually talk to each other within the system? And I think that will pay dividends not only from automating those pieces of the process, but also in terms of reps finding Salesforce easier to use. I'm really knocking on wood over here that it will drive a little bit better adherence to actually using all the systems the way we want them to. The best reps, what are some of the things that they're doing on the effectiveness side? When I think about this, just to zoom out for a second, if I can figure out what makes people more effective, I'm going to lean in on the enablement tracks for that. So I have enablement rolling up to me in terms of sales training and then also some of the marketing components of that on collateral. So if I can define what those are, I want to systematize and teach the rest of the floor about it and then find ways to make those effective actions more efficient through whatever kinds of processes I can design. Um, So on the effectiveness side, I wish I had something that was rocket science, but the thing that people are doing the best job of is better discovery. Better discovery solves almost everything down funnel for them in terms of qualifying in and out in that first or second meeting and then ruthlessly abandoning (laughs) to your user word earlier, some of the things that kind of like the friends they were talking to, they just do a much better job of saying this is or isn't worth my time. And we're trying to back out, you know, what is that? Is that asking better questions and following a selling system, like a Sandler methodology in a better way? Is that some sort of instinct based on experience? I'm trying to decode what is driving that ability to just say, nope, I'm not going to focus here anymore. I think so often reps think I'm not going to say no for my prospect. I want them to say no to me. But even if that's true, is that you can be more direct in the way that you're managing your sales cycle to actually get the no when it's appropriate. Never split the difference, right? It starts with no, right? Like I, I want to get to the reps to get to no as fast as possible and pressure test whether the no is real. Um, and I think that that's something that particularly reps that are behind on goal. It's it's like that two-minute drill where you're just trying to make something happen. I'm finding that they're walking past that. They're going to 
try to hang in there for longer in terms of getting it to the next stage. Whereas reps that are more confident either in the quality of their pipe or have more experience with the organization are much happier to qualify out faster. I don't know if you use a qualification framework, but as I was reading that success cadence book, there was this one part where they they said things to the effect of, you know, if there's no mutually agreed upon next step, then the op is unqualified, right? If the buyer won't discuss the decision-making process with you, then the op is unqualified, right? So if you, whether you're using Bant or Anim or Medic or whatever, you could sort of take the reverse of those things. And if you don't have those things, you don't have a deal. That's right. The friend zone has been a risk for us in terms of hanging out at non-decision maker levels. When I think about effectiveness too, it's being really honest with yourself about whether this is someone that could sign a deal. People that can say yes to and buy a gig marketplace interaction versus a enterprise software platform look really different. People that used to be qualified buyers that that we're now saying, you know, they're really not in our current sales motion and that's hard behavior to learn. What was the persona of the gig marketplace person and, and what's the persona of the enterprise platform? So think about the, the gig marketplace. It's anyone in a company that can sign a check to say, I need a little extra help on a project. So you could really be looking at anything from sometimes even senior manager and up or director and up could be fully qualified to spend money on that kind of a project. Whereas the person who can say, I want to transform how work happens in my company and roll out a platform where people can be matched internally or externally to projects that matter most, that's a very different profile. That's certainly VP and up. It's often very concentrated within like a transformation or a strategy office. And that's a very different level of sophistication and sales cycle. I'm curious with that pivot, what were some of the things that you did to educate your sellers on how to communicate with that different type of buyer? Well, so this is the funny part for me is that I worked with Catalan when they were purely a gig marketplace. I left for about a year and a half. And after a lot of conversation, as they were going through this pivot, they're like, we really need someone who understands the pre and post stage of our sales motion who can help us from an ops and strategy side. I think we learned a lot of things that didn't work. Um, The ability for a sales organization to consume change and to just be like handed down a ton of information, unsurprisingly, is not successful. (laughs) I think now it's like, how do we decompose that change into all aspects of the system? So helping them structure their territory planning and templatized ways that make sense with the new personas, helping them find opportunities to role play, giving a lot more coaching and feedback on you know the discovery calls we're able to listen into, and constant reinforcement. Well, I'll ask you one last question before we wrap, which is if you could wave a magic wand and get something done, some big project done that would either increase your efficiency or effectiveness, what's that dream project for you or that, that dream initiative? I think it's actually the wrap of what we're doing right now, which is if I had for every role on the floor, I could say, these are the behaviors of the top quartile people in these functions. This is what they do from a time management perspective, a tool utilization perspective, a sales process perspective, and how they run their playbook. Take this and I will provide you the systems with which to track that. That's my dream. I don't think it's anything that's like revolutionary from a sales strategy side, but I really get a lot of heartburn when someone says, well, what does good look like for this? And I can't answer that question in the most concise way or in a data-driven way today. That's what I want. I want to be able to answer that question with saying, this is what good is. I have the data to back it up and I have the systems and tools for you to get it done. If people do want to get in touch with you and learn more about Catalan or trade best practices on sales strategy and operations, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Yeah, sure. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. So Julia Siegel at Catalan. And then email is jsegel, S-E-G-E-L at gocatalan.com. Happy to connect. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.